0: Our scripture that was read earlier came from Luke's Gospel, the 8th chapter, and the 40th to the 55th verse. And uh, I'd like to read it again just so that we're all on the same page. Luke, the 8th chapter, and the 40th through the 55th verse. Here are the words as recorded in the scriptures. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Chill, whoa, whoa, whoa. Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him. And how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue, officials saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. You and I live very busy lives and quite often we don't have the time to stop and pay attention to the small but sometimes really important things in life. We're so busy running from here to there that we become so fixated on what we are doing that any interruption causes us to become irritable and callous with other people. But today I want to show you how even when we are on the most important of missions in our lives... It is always appropriate to be interrupted for the work of the kingdom of God. And so I've titled this message, quite simply, The Divine Interruption. The Divine Interruption. At the beginning of the text, it said, Jesus returned. Right? If you look back at the beginning of the text, it says, and as Jesus returned. Well... That's an important distinction because I want to set the context up for you about what is getting ready to happen. You need to understand a few things about what happened prior to Jesus' return. Prior to returning, Jesus was actually in what we call Gentile territory. He had just right now freed a demon-possessed man, and he had cast the demons out of that man into a herd of swine. This is what Jesus had done while he was in the other side of the region. Now, now for a Jewish person, they would understand that this would mean that Jesus was doing something in a place that was very unclean. Here's what I mean. Before Jesus returned, he was in what we call Gentile territory. He was, he was hanging out with where all of the non-Jews were. Secondly, he was having an encounter at a cemetery where dead people were. The other thing is that Jesus was now with a demon-possessed man. And then finally, pigs were present. All of these reasons, when the writer is Telling us the story is letting us know that Jesus was in an unclean place dealing with unclean pigs hanging around unclean and demon-possessed people and he was in a cemetery. Everything points to Jesus, this wonderful man, hanging around everything that was once unclean. So now Luke picks up the text and he says, now Jesus returned to the other side. This is what the text tells us. And now Jesus has now gone from the Gentile side to now the more Jewish side. The the clean side, as it were. He left all of that unclean stuff and he's now coming to the clean stuff where the Jews were. Now, what you need to understand is that as Jesus left the unclean side, he's now on the clean side and he's making his way, and the text tells us that there was a whole crowd waiting for him to come. So they're all on the banks of the Galilee waiting for Jesus now to come from the other side. Jesus now gets to the other side, and the text tells us that when he gets to the other side, he is met by this man called Jairus. Jairus, the text tells us, is a high official of the synagogue. In other words, it's literally like that Jesus, when he came from the unclean side to the clean side, the first thing he met was a very clean rabbi so to speak. He's like, it's like he's coming and he's meeting with now the Pope or he's meeting with the former president of the United States. <laughs> he is coming from the unclean side. Did I say it out loud? <laughs> to the clean side. You're, you're see it. It, you see, and Jairus, the text tells us that he comes to Jesus and what does he do? He falls to his knees Right at the feet of Jesus. This think think of the imagery. This high ranking official, this bishop, this, this pope falls at the feet of Jesus in front of all of these people. Can you see the imagery? And the text tells us now. Now, what's interesting about this is this high ranking official is probably on the order of like a Nicodemus. And if you remember Nicodemus, Nicodemus came went to Jesus at night. In secret but now this particular high-ranking official he comes in broad daylight in front of all the people and he falls to his knees and he falls at the feet of Jesus how scandalous is this Jairus came boldly to Jesus and the thing about this is Jairus for all of his accomplishments and all of his credentials and all of his education, Jairus is desperate. Jairus' daughter is dying. And Jairus is desperate. So Jairus falls at the feet of Jesus. Now, now, what you need to understand about this desperation is that when you are faced with no other options, when the doctors have said all that they can say and they say that they've done all that they can do for you, when you have tried all the advice and all the remedies, all that everyone can think of, when pe- that's the time when most people come looking for Jesus. Amen. You get to the place where, you know, I hear you, I hear what you're saying, but but I need me a little more, Jesus. And as the worship team sang, this is the time when you say, Jesus, do not pass me by. When you're faced with insurmountable odds and it seems like all hell is breaking loose around you, all of a sudden, the money doesn't matter. The house and the car doesn't matter. The job and the career does not matter matters is I need to get to Jesus you fall down on your knees and you don't care who is watching all you know is that right now I am desperate And when people are desperate for Jesus, I want you to know that they don't come wishy-washy. They come boldly, they come with confidence, but they also come with humility, knowing that those who come to him must first believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. My brothers and sisters, are you in need of Jesus today? If you are not in need of Jesus today, then maybe, just maybe, You're not desperate enough. So Jairus is desperate. He doesn't care about his degrees. He doesn't care about his standing in the community. He doesn't care about his job. Listen, his church, I don't care what his church thinks. Right now, my daughter is sick and dying, and I need Jesus. So he falls at Jesus' feet, and... Says to Jesus, my daughter is sick and I need you to come. So Jesus sees this man and Jesus says, "Okay." the scriptures now let us know that Jesus is on his way. Mm -hmm. Jesus is on his way. Jesus is on a very important mission for the kingdom of God. Because what Jesus is about to do is to raise this man's daughter and make believers out of everyone. Everyone's going to see this wonderful miracle of Jesus raising the dead. And they're going to be convinced of the glory and majesty of God. Jesus is doing important work. Make no mistake about it. He's on his way on a mission from a high official from the synagogue. The bishop has given Jesus on a mandate, and Jesus is following through. Jesus is doing important work. But the text tells us that on his way, there is a woman that interrupts him. Jesus is on his way on important business. And this woman interrupts his work. Now, I want to set this up for you because this woman has been sick for 12 years. The Bible tells us that she has an issue of blood. And the, 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 the thing about it is, is Jesus has a high reputation too. He's known as the great healer, the great physician. He has all this high reputation. And this woman presses her way through the crowd. And interrupts Jesus. Now, here's the problem that I want you to see in the text. Number one, she's a woman. There are strict boundaries in Jewish culture about where what women can and cannot do. It is inappropriate for a woman to touch the rabbi. Don't touch the rabbi. Secondly, she is sick. Having been sick for 12 years points to the fact that this was not some ordinary problem with maybe, say, her menstrual cycle or anything of that nature. She's been sick with an issue of blood, a hemorrhage for 12 years, which means, church, that this woman's problem is she may have have, have cervical cancer. We don't know, but whatever it is, it's something bad. That is causing her to lose blood for 12 years. And 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 the gospel of Mark tells us that she's seen every doctor, spent all of her money, and nobody can help her. Do you have any idea what it's like being sick for 12 years? 12 years and no one can help you no one can save you no one can bring aid to your situation and if you're losing blood you have no you have any idea how weak and frail and sickly she has to be or what she has to do in order to make sure that she has more blood to lose i want you to see that this woman is desperate desperate but here's the part in the text that is most troubling. Not only is she a woman, not only is she sick, but it says she has an issue of blood. Now, that's an important information in the text. Why? Because in this culture, having an issue of blood... Me, listen, Let me look at what it says in the book of Leviticus, the 15th chapter. This is the law that all the Jews follow. Listen carefully. Leviticus, the 15th chapter and the 19th through the 31st verse. It says... When a woman has her monthly period, she remains unclean for seven days. And if you touch her, you must take a bath, but you remain unclean until the evening. Okay, I hear that. Here, it goes further. Anything that she rests or sits on is also unclean. And if you touch either of these, meaning anything that she sits on or rests on, you must wash your clothes, take a bath, but you still remain unclean until the evening. Any man who has relations with her during this time becomes unclean for seven days. And anything he rests on is also unclean. Now, this is pretty dramatic, right? But it gets worse. Because all they're talking about now is her normal, a woman's normal menstrual cycle. But watch this. Verse 25. Any woman who has a flow of blood, hear this, outside her regular monthly period is unclean until it stops. That's an important distinction. Because as long as she has a blood condition... She's unclean perpetually until it stops. Now, what did the text tell us? This woman had an issue of blood for how long? Twelve years. So she's been unclean for how long? Twelve years. So can you imagine the stigma that is placed on this woman because she is unclean? Listen, in her condition, it is so bad that if she walks into this room, and you see I got my glass of water right here. If she walks into this room, the first thing I need to do is cover it even though she's in the back of the sanctuary. Because anything that she comes around now is unclean, and we got to be careful. So, so, so what I want you to understand about the woman, I want you to see her. But not just see her, but see you sometimes. Watch this. This woman is probably very alone. In her condition, she, she, would have been, she couldn't go to church or synagogue. So she's not welcomed in any circ- situation. And if she was married, she would likely have been divorced by now. This woman lived in a perpetual state of impurity, which probably resulted in her poverty, paying for all those doctor's bills. Isolation, suffering. She was an outcast of the worst kind. And when I read this text, I said to myself, she might as well just have had leprosy and be done with it. Because at least, at least, she could hang out with all the other lepers in the colony. In her condition, she can't even, lepers don't even, Listen, when, 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 when lepers are calling you unclean, it's bad. So the thing about it is, is Jesus left the unclean side in Gentile territory. He joins over into the clean side or the Jewish side. And he's met now with an unclean woman who interrupts the work he's doing for the clean bishop. You see how I'm setting this up? You see where this is going? The 12-year issue is a problem. But I want you to understand something about the 12-year issue. The gospel writer is setting us up so that we understand that this woman is so sick that every possible social, political, cultural norm that you could ever think of, that you could ever be used to is something that she can't participate in. This woman is all alone. Abandonment is the word that I use here. She had a 12 year issue. She's an unclean woman. She presses her way through the crowd to touch the rabbi, the clean rabbi. She's taking the risk. Remember what I said, anything that a woman touches who has an issue of blood, what does it become? So she's going to have the nerve to touch Jesus? To do what? To make Jesus unclean? Who does she think she is? But as I said to you before, my brothers and my sisters, there is something about being desperate that brings you to the master. Are you desperate enough to want to get to Jesus? So the question I have for you as, as, as we walk through this is, what's your 12-year issue? Maybe you're thinking, I can't get the kind of job I want because I don't have the level of education that I need. That might be your 12-year issue. You're thinking that maybe nobody will want me because I have all this baggage. That might be your 12-year issue. Maybe, maybe, you feel like you need cigarette or pornography or something. Well, that might be your 12-year issue. But don't think it's always bad, the 12-year issue. Sometimes the 12-year issue looks like this. Maybe you think that you have to do the work because if you don't do it, then the job won't get done. Maybe you're just a little high and mighty. That's a 12-year issue as well, if you're hearing me. Maybe, maybe you think that nobody can do the job better than you. So you might as well do it yourself. That could be a 12-year issue. Seems like you got some control issues going on. You know, you, 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 maybe you've got to be in control of all situations. Maybe you've got to make sure that, that if you're not there, then, then the church is going to fall, fall apart. Maybe you think you're the only pastor that can pastor the church as good as... You just might have a 12-year issue. You get angry at the slightest provocation or over the simplest things. You, you just might have a 12-year issue. How about this one? You, you yell at your kids because they remind you of their father or mother who left you. Sounds like you got a 12-year issue. I don't know what your 12-year issue might be. But believe me, you need to reflect on it. Because maybe you need the feet of Jesus as well. So here's Jesus on his way on a divine mission man. to help this man, this pope, this bishop, this president with his sick daughter. Amen. You get Jesus, and Jesus is on his way. But on his way, he, he, to heal the daughter of this high-ranking official, he's interrupted by a desperate, low-living outcast with a 12 year issue. A woman that has no business touching the clean rabbi with her unclean self. Pushing through the crowd. And, and, And the text tells us that, you know, now I don't want you to miss this. We've got two very desperate people, the text tells us, two very desperate people on two different extremes of society. Desperate in high society, Desperate in low society. Two very desperate people and neither of them able to do anything about their problem. The text tells us in verse 27, after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him, touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I will get well. For she, for, and, and immediately the text says, the flow of her blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Brothers and sisters, hear me in your spirits. Those who come to him must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That's the text. Those who come to him must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. The woman is poor. The woman is sick. The woman is unclean. And now she has interrupted the dignified gathering that's going to be hosted now by the synagogue ruler to touch this rabbi. What will Jesus do? Will Jesus judge her? Will he share with the crowd, don't touch me? What will Jesus do? Will Jesus require that they stone her as the law requires? What is Jesus going to do? The question is, what would you do? Knowing all of the rules and everything else, what would you do? Would you be like, get off me? My robe was cleaned yesterday. Well, the text tells us that immediately Jesus perceiving him in himself, that power proceeding from him, had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garment? See the image. Jesus is walking. Who touched me? Peter, the disciples. Jesus, what's wrong with you, man? Bro, you got a whole lot of people pushing on you. What are you doing? All of these people, they're all around you, Jesus. What are you doing? Jesus said... Peter, back up Peter you don't understand what's happening here power has gone out of me that's what Jesus said power has listen Jesus is walking he don't see the woman and he's walking and Jesus goes power has gone out of me now here's what people most people don't necessarily understand what's going on in the text and, I, and you know church you know, my preaching status I want you to have understanding because the Bible tells us that our people perish from a lack of understanding. So I want you to know that there's more going on here than meets the eye. Now remember, he, she touched him. This woman, in her alone self, probably knows more about the scriptures than Jairus. You see, it's not by accident that they put a high-ranking synagogue official in the story. Watch this. In the book of Malachi, it talks about when Messiah comes, he will come with healing in his wings. That's what it said. Now, what you need to understand about the translation in the text is that it's talking. The wings are referring to the the, the, the tassels on the robe. See, when they used to anoint the priests, the oil would run down from the priests all the way down and so therefore that anointing oil had healing so the text says when messiah comes he's gonna have healing in the bottom of his robe so when the woman saw jesus and she touched the hem of his garment she really wasn't saying anything other than here it is she was saying you are messiah do you see what i just told you She's not saying simply I just want to be healed. She's saying I'm gonna, I have enough faith to know that when Messiah comes he will come with healing in his robe. And so I believe he is Messiah so I must touch the robe and I will have healing. I don't know if you see it but the woman has more faith than the Jairus synagogue ruler because if he knew That Jesus was Messiah. He could have done simply what that centurion soldier had said and said, Jesus, I know that you are Messiah, but I don't need you to come to my house. I just need you to say the word, and my daughter will be healed. That's faith. That's what Jesus is looking for. So listen, when you know it's Messiah, like this woman knows it's Messiah, she knew. She knew. That if she touched him she could not make Messiah unclean because anything Jesus is touch whatever is unclean Jesus makes clean not the other way around he has all power what did I tell you he was over in Gentile territory he was around pigs he was in a cemetery a demon possessed man come Jesus Cast out the demons out of that man into a herd of swine. Jesus, wherever he goes, the unclean becomes clean. I, I don't know. This stuff excites me. But here's the part I love the most in the text. Jesus looks at the woman because she was now hiding, scared, scared. She knows right now that she did something she should not have done. But she touched the hem of his garment, and the Bible tells us that immediately when she touched Jesus, she felt the difference in her body. She's like, oh. She just dipped, and Jesus said, "Who touched me?" And he's looking around. And then he fixes his eyes on her. And she realized now that she got busted. It's in the text. It's in the Greek. She got busted. And she said, the text has, says, she comes trembling, wow. scared. Yes. Oh, yes. I didn't really mean to touch you, but I'm desperate. Yes. And I know that you're a Messiah. Because the Bible says, when Messiah comes, yes. Yes. he will have healing in his wings. Yes. And so I took the risk of being ridiculed by all of these people who knows my story for 12 years but I'm so desperate I had to touch you. Mm -hmm. But I really shouldn't, and I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me. It is one of the most sensitive things in the Bible, and most people miss it. Look at what Jesus did when this woman risked the exposure of what she had done. Jesus, in one of the most beautiful things in all of Scripture, looks at her and he says, Daughter. You see that one word, daughter? Here's what I want you to see, church. When the woman touched the hem of Jesus' garment, her physical body was healed. But I told you that she'd been carrying around the shame for over 12 years, which means that she was an outcast. Sometimes you can have healing in your body and your soul still be a mess. And Jesus looked at her and he says, I know your body's been healed. But now I need you to feel like you're part of my family again. So he calls her daughter, which is an expression of relationship. He didn't just say woman, this no-name woman, go. He, no, he says daughter. He affirmed her, daughter. And, and, and what did he say in the text? I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. You're completely healed. Body and soul. In other words, you don't need to feel like an outcast anymore. You don't need to feel like you are a nobody. You are now coming from, you are my daughter now. To the woman that has violated all social boundaries, Jesus says, daughter. To the woman, this unnamed woman who interrupted Jesus, he says, daughter. To the outcast on her knees, Jesus says, daughter. To the poor, destitute, desperate, and unclean woman, Jesus says, daughter. You see, and I don't want y'all to feel left out because lest your brothers feel left out. To the man who grew up without a father, Jesus says, son. To the man that is struggling to feed his family, Jesus says, my son. To the man that can't find a decent job because of your past, Jesus says, my son. To the man that can't get free of his addiction, Jesus says, my son. Jesus offers a complete reversal from the curse that has brought you tremendous social, religious, or personal pain. Jesus didn't only heal this woman's body; he healed her soul, and he will heal yours as well. But as I as I get ready to kind of bring this to a close, I just want to make sure y'all see everything in the text. As Jesus was healing this woman, they came to Jesus. Remember, he was on a mission for the Pope, and he got interrupted, and he stopped to have this encounter with this woman. While Jesus was wasting time with this woman, because he could have gotten to Jairus' house. Because what did they say? Jairus said, my daughter is dying, which means she's not yet dead. So Jesus wasted time, and by the time Jesus wasted all his time with this woman, Jairus' daughter has died. So word comes to Jesus saying, hey, Jairus and Jesus, no need to bother. Jairus, your daughter has died. Watch this. I can see Jesus saying this Jairus, your daughter has not died, but I got another daughter that must live. You see the juxtaposition. The 12 year old daughter, the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. Jairus, you got a daughter. But so do I. And for every person who finds Jesus, you are part of his family. And you can interrupt your father. No matter what your father is doing, he always has time for his children. My, my, My daughter guilted me one night. I was in my study at home working on my whatever. She came in and she wanted me to help her with her homework. And I was just like, you know, you know, I got, I got real tight. I'll be honest. Listen, confession is good for the soul. She right there. She'll tell you. And I was like, you know, you want me to help you with your homework, but you want me to do it for you. And all I was making up a whole kind of reason. And she got his little, you know, upset. Uh-huh. A little. Well, a little more. A little more upset. Well, she got really upset. And, uh, you know, she's like, forget it. You know, it's, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And she went away upset. And I'm sitting there and saying to myself, really? Is this, is this the father I am? Can't I be interrupted by my children? And oh, by the way, can't I be interrupted by the saints of God? Because I'm going about kingdom work. But sometimes when we go about our kingdom work, we're really kind of going about our work. Because God knows the plans that he has for us. And sometimes that divine interruption is the pathway to your blessing. But you miss it because you're doing church work. You're so focused on church work that you miss God work. That's what we're seeing in the text. But but let me hurry on. So so Jairus' daughter has died. And Jesus... Wasted time healing this woman. I don't know what you hear in this text, but I want you, church, to understand that as people of God, we cannot afford to let our own sense of self-importance interfere with our ability to do what really matters to God. The thing that really matters to God is not so much how well you can balance the books or how well you present yourself in church or how well you speak or how well you do whatever. That is not what's important to God. The thing that's important to God is what's going on inside your heart. And so I came to tell you that we need not let our own sense of self-importance let us not stoop to the level that is required for us to be the people of God. I don't know what you're hearing. But I have to be willing to humble myself, sacrifice my own dignity, if necessary, for the benefit of God's people. That is what Jesus is asking of us. And none of us in here are more important than Jesus. So if Jesus could stop for this low-level woman, it doesn't mean that he's not going to do the high-level work. He's going to do the high-level work. But here's how I will close. And this is what I want you all to get. About Jesus. Jesus is God. So Jesus don't wait on things. Things wait on Jesus. So if you have a situation in your life that is dying, Jesus is on his way. He may not get there to you yet because he may be interrupted by others, but he is on his way. And watch this, and even if as Jesus is on his way, that your situation dies and falls apart, don't worry. He'll still come, because he can still raise the dead. Jesus can raise the dead situation in your life, no matter what you think it is. But the question is, do you have that kind of faith? And that's what we preach in this church, the kind of faith that, not let, that doesn't just let you believe, but also helps you with your unbelief as well. This is Jesus, who he is. And he is here. And he is passing this way. So my brothers and my sisters, as I close, are you in the room or in the need for a divine interruption? Are you leading a life that is so busy and so important and, you know, you're doing things that's just so amazing? Well, that's wonderful. But do you have time for a divine interruption? Are you desperate enough to want to fall to your knees? You know, the other thing that I think is remarkable in the text is that I said Jesus left the unclean side And he came to the clean side, right? And when he got there, this high-ranking official did what? Fall to his knees at Jesus' feet. But what did this low-level woman do as well? She fell to her knees at Jesus' feet. So you and I are somewhere between a low person and a high person, by whatever standard you choose. But the beauty in the text is that no matter where you are on the spectrum of the socioeconomic ladder, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory and honor of God. So if you are here today and you have not yet found the feet of the master, brothers and sisters, Jesus is passing this way today. And do not let him pass you by. If there's things in your life that is crowding you that you just can't get to him, We offer him to you. Don't let the naysayers or everyone around you is telling you, well, you know, that's churchy stuff. Listen, we are witnesses to the fact that what was once lost, he found. And he waited for me, and he will wait for you.